This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, John Carlson will join us with a fresh look at the new numbers in Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some more of this week's top consumer stories. The Bank of Canada held interest rates steady, as expected this week, but said the escalating U.S.-China trade war is doing more damage to the global economy than the Bank of Canada had forecast last month. Our central bank, which has been on the sidelines since last October, maintained maintained its key overnight rate at 1.75% and made no mention of future moves. The current level of stimulus remains appropriate, it said, and repeated the pace of Canadian economic growth should slow down in the second half of the year. Looking ahead to the next rate announcement coming up on October 30th, the bank said it would, quote, pay particular attention to global developments and their impact on Canadian growth and inflation, close quote. A Reuters poll released last week found economists were divided on whether the bank would cut rates this year or hold off until early 2020. I wouldn't bet against a token cut before the end of this calendar year in Canada, but then I'm not an economist, and even they are divided on this. British Columbia's annual allowable rent increase for 2020 has been set at the province's annual rate of inflation. When making the announcement on Wednesday, the government pointed out this increase is actually 2% lower than it would have been before the rental cap increase was brought in earlier this year. BC's allowable rent increase for 2020 has been set at 2.6%. That's the province's annual rate of inflation. Now, groups like TRAC, the Tenant Resource and Advisory Centre are in favour of this rate, saying it's a step in the right direction, but also say much more can still be done to improving housing affordability in Metro Vancouver. We'll have more on this story next week when Landlord BC joins us here on Vancouver Consumer. Now, here's a very serious story you should hear, especially if you live in a condo or apartment building. Vancouver police are raising the alarm about a rash of thefts that could put lives at risk. Police say thieves are targeting a particularly piece of firefighting equipment built into high-rise buildings, stealing them apparently for their value as metal salvage. The equipment, they're called standpipe connections, and they're used by firefighters to feed water to the upper floors of a tower during a fire. Now, a fire, uh, Vancouver Fire and Rescue Services captain this week said the illegal removal of these puts occupants of the buildings at high risk. So far, the majority of the thefts have occurred in downtown Vancouver and the downtown east side, according to police, who also say they believe there are more thefts that have yet to be reported. And they're asking building managers and building occupants to check their properties for damage. Anyone missing a connector or with information about thefts is urged to call Vancouver police. Strata communities, check your security cameras. So, did you go to the PNE this year? Well, even if you didn't make it to Hastings Park, a lot of other folks did, as the PNE has just recorded its best attendance in five years. The numbers are just out this week, and this year, 731,708 people had their day at the fair, up 25,000 from last year and up just under 10,000 from 2017. Those numbers don't include the months-long playland season outside of the PNE fall period 
period either. Next year, the fair marks its 110th anniversary, and the organizers are already planning the party. Those are a few more of the week's top consumer stories for you. We'll have more as we go through the hour, but coming right up is Johnny 1%. John Carlson is next with a look at the latest numbers and conditions in Metro Vancouver real estate. Stay with Vancouver Consumer. You're on CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined by Johnny 1%. John Carlson, Personal Real Estate Corporation, is back on Vancouver Consumer. Hello, Mr. C. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sterling. Great weather. You know, still feels a little bit like summer, so uh, no complaints here. Well, we've got some new numbers, too. The summer numbers are complete now that August is in and tallied up. And a couple of weeks ago, while we were still in August, John, you had some some predictions as to what the numbers were likely to reflect. And as it turns out, you're pretty accurate. The month-to-month sale from August to July, down under 1%, but nonetheless down. But year-to-year, the sales were up. So what does that tell you? Well, I mean, to me, that speaks for the resilience of the greater Vancouver market and the demand uh, that may still be out there in the market in terms of people looking to buy that that was just kind of put on a shelf for a little while. So Mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, we were talking earlier in the year... uh, Uh, February, March, April. I mean, these were gloomy months when you look at the statistics. You know, I kind of liken it to, you know, people were looking at the market at that time. It was like looking down into a dark well and they couldn't see the bottom. And I think a lot of potential buyers were thinking, do I really want to jump in in this environment? We, We have no idea how... How, how quickly or how severe this correction is going to be and when things are going to level out. So people just stepped off. They put themselves on the sideline. Doesn't Absolutely. mean they, they weren't looking for a house. They were just apprehensive. That's right. Yeah. And I think that uh, as time went on, yes, we've seen some price adjustments throughout all segments. And uh, that's to be expected, I think. And we talked about the CMHC report last time we were here that suggested we may still have some price adjustment to do. Yep. But I find that you know, I think the average buyer, a lot of them at least, are, are kind of thinking, you know, the sky didn't fall, the market didn't crash, there has been a price uh, correction, so I, I can get more for my money. Um, and, you know, interest rates are still low, and I'm tired of waiting. And I think a lot of people are starting to say, maybe it's time for me to jump back in the market. And that was the kind of anecdotal evidence I'd seen with my own clients sure. and other people bringing offers on my listings. And, uh, you know, I wasn't surprised to see that the summer was a bit of a step up. Now, August slowed just a little bit compared to, you know, July of last year. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at the numbers, they're up from, you know, a 10-year low last year. But I think that September and October and and November are going to be the biggest months of the year, the best months for sellers. I think buyers are jumping back in the market. Um, I'm not predicting prices to be swinging up because that's not the kind of resurgence we're having. I think what we're having is... Uh, buyers who are selective and they're cautious, they're skimming the cream off the top. The good listings are selling relatively quickly. Yesterday's prices are out. Buyers have no interest in paying yesterday's prices. But if they see a, a property that suits them and the price is in line with what they think today's prices would be, there are buyers out there, and that's a good sign. Mm-hmm, indeed, and this is, is very consistent with your prediction a couple of weeks ago, too, in that you're expecting fall 2019 uh, to be pretty active. Typically, and you've told us this many times on this program, spring is the peak season for real estate most years. Right. However, in Vancouver, or Metro Vancouver, this year, fall could outpace spring in terms of overall activity. 
I think so, because spring was held back this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, spring yeah. never really sprung in the way it usually would because of all of the news about market adjustments and all the changes that had gone into the market. So I think it's very reasonable to think that uh, there are still people who may decide to wait and see what happens in the next few months. And some people may decide to wait until next spring. I just don't know. But it seems like there are a significant number of potential buyers or people who want to sell and upsize or downsize who said, you know, maybe they look at each other and say, honey, you know, we waited. Things are still looking okay. And, you know, we might not sell as much for as much as we would have last year. Mm-hmm. But the good news is we can get a good deal on a house out there now because the prices have dropped. So I think people are jumping back in. And I'm thinking I'm going to be quite busy in September, October, and November. I have uh, lots of uh, calendar time available so people can contact me anytime if they want to talk about it further. All right, well, let me give you the phone number here just to, just to write down as we go along. You'll hear it a few times, 604-612-0080. Again, 604-612-0080. Back to the new numbers. August growth, I'm, I'm quoting Global News here, August growth was led by a large boost in sales of detached homes, which jumped Almost 25% over August of last year, condo sales climbed by just about 9% year over year. So August, John, was a more active month as you knew it would be. Well, that's what I thought, and it's nice to see the numbers bear those things out because I think it's positive for the, the, the overall market. And if you, in my opinion, if you look at the detached housing segment bouncing back, it is a, a higher price segment, generally speaking, than the condo market in any particular mm-hmm. area. Yep. And I think that um, you know uh, potential buyers were looking at the higher price markets thinking, hey, there's more to lose here. And so they were particularly careful maybe a year ago, and the detached segment really dropped in terms of numbers. Now, that, again, now that there is a, an adjustment in prices and people kind of get a feeling that, hey, maybe we haven't hit rock bottom, but on the other hand, maybe the time is right. Rates are low and personal decisions come into mm-hmm. play and we're ready to jump back in. So it's good to see those detached houses. But I will say this, the sales have, imp- have increased. But when I'm out there in different areas, I mean, I was out in White Rock looking at a, at a property doing an evaluation recently, one in Burnaby recently, one in Maple Ridge recently, all detached properties. All right. And what I found was uh, when you look at active listings and sold listings, it's quite surprising that the sold listings in any particular price category, and generally we were looking at 800 to 1.2 million in these different evaluations. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to see that there were sales and the sales that had happened uh, happened in some cases six days, 12 days, 23 days. I'm just picking numbers out, but they were relatively quick. As you said, if it's priced right, it'll move. There's buyers for that sort of stuff. On the other hand, we're looking at properties that maybe had been on you know, during the evaluation in, in, some, in an area where these people lived, I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, we'd see listings that were on the market 180 days, 200, 240 days, yeah. and they'd had four or five price reductions. And those ones were still on the market. So, you know, when the price graph is pointing down and you look at, you know, it's easy to kind of see someone maybe listing back in May and they brought their price five times. Well, they were never really in the game because they were just a little maybe too high. Uh, The value proposition wasn't there. But again, the good news is you don't have to price your house rock bottom and and give it away. Right. But if you recognize what the market's doing right now, you recognize what's actually selling, what buyers are prepared to pay, and you want to position yourself somewhere in that range, you've got a good chance of success. I guess the word is range rather than fixed. You have to be open-minded, at least to the point where you know what you would like to sell your house for. You have that ideal number in your mind, but on any given day, that number may not be available to you. You have to be open-minded enough to 
a look at the range rather than that individual number, right? I believe that, yes. And I think even for myself or, or an agent out there giving advice in terms of pricing, I also have to be open-minded because the market is a little bit hit and miss. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the last, say, three months or so, I've seen listings that I thought looked pretty good out there and maybe they didn't sell right away. I mean, it's, it's not a slam dunk necessarily to sell. Uh, so when I talk to people, I try to give them a range in my opinion of, you know, I call it the success zone. Some people need to price sharp for different reasons. And my advice to them might be, hey, here is the sharp end of the price uh, success zone. And, you know, maybe we price it here. And uh, if we get offers lower, we just counter them back up very close to right. that list price and we stay there. Other people, they say, hey, I've got something kind of unique. Not, there's maybe not a lot of competition for this property. But I still say, hey, here's the, the success zone, in my opinion. Once you step beyond that, I think you may be competing against bigger, better, brighter harder to compete against properties and then you just don't get the offer. So again, these are these are things that I advise people on a case-by-case basis when I do an evaluation. But sure. in general, there's a range that I give people nowadays and we talk about how to operate within that range. Okay, back to the August numbers, John, for another moment quickly, just because you talked about listings just a moment or so. And this refers to that. Despite the boost in sales, inventory remains high in our region with over 12,000 homes on the market, up 13% over August of last year, though down 6% from July. So still lots of listings in the marketplace. What does that tell you? It tells me that buyers have choice. It tells me that sellers need to make sure they're priced reasonably and understand what competition they're facing and what environment they're operating in. Um, and it tells me that there's a little bit more of a balanced market. Now, for a while, when the sales were way down earlier on in the year, uh, you know, inventory was adding up. You know, as new listings come and few of them sell, the numbers were piling up. Right. And I think that now what we've seen over the summer, you don't see as many people list in the summer. Generally speaking, you know, there could be weddings, graduations, anniversaries, parties, holidays, all these sorts of things. Sure. So part of the market kind of takes a step back. And that's why I think that September, October, November are going to be big months. I believe there will be... Uh, There's kind of a pent-up demand, right? Yeah, I've got some clients moving back into BC right now. I'll be seeing them a little bit later on today. And we sold with them. Uh, we sold them, and they moved out of the province, and now they're coming back. And I, you know, we looked at a few of the listings, and again, it's a two-tiered market. There was a bunch of stuff that had been on the market a long time. We looked at it, didn't seem that appealing to my clients. Didn't seem priced like you know, like it wanted to move, in other words. But I reminded them, I said, you know, let's just be a little bit patient because I see this market blossoming in, in by mid-September. A lot of new listings are coming out. Uh, the ones that are priced well are going to sell. There's no doubt about it. So I think there's lots to look at now on the market. Uh, it may or may not be to your liking or may or may not be to your value proposition kind of a, a taste. But there's lots of new stuff coming out as well. And I think the buyers are going to join in and we're going to see a nice balanced market where... Again, a seller, if you're prepared to be reasonable, you're going to get offers on your property. And a buyer, if you're prepared to be patient, you can look around and find the one that suits you and you can do a house inspection. You don't have to be rushed. You probably won't have to compete in a multiple offer situation. It really is a nice kind of a, I'm predicting, a, you know, envisioning a, a nice balanced market where both sides can do well. It's kind of a win-win. Right. And how do you know, again, in these very fluid times, John, and if you take graphs and start tracking the activity of, of listings, and price and availability, all of they all show different lines. But if you if you start tracking the pricing alone, that 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 graph is still going down ever so slightly, but it's still going down. So it's a fluid market. There is no end in sight for this decline or correction, call it what you will. So how do you know how to correctly and competitively price your property? 
Well, you don't want to be too concerned with yesterday, and you don't want to be too concerned with tomorrow. I think you want to be focused on what's happening today. Yeah. And so you look at your competition once again. You look at the environment you're operating in. Uh, but back to the graphs, it's it's nice because when I uh, visit people to do evaluations or talk about properties, of course, we talk about agency first and make sure all that stuff's out of the way. Sure. But then I can show them uh, detailed graphs about uh, inventory levels, pricing, uh, and you will see... Uh, you know, in certain segments of the market, in more affordable segments, we'll see a line that kind of drops down a little bit. And then come uh, June and July, there's there's a little leveling, sometimes mm-hmm. even a little blip up. Uh, so statistics never tell the whole story. But, um, you know, as, if you're looking to be on the market today, I can give you that kind of information in terms of how you might position yourself, how you might compete. And then the marketing and timing and all that stuff is is part of that. It's really about finding the smart point in terms of where you want to, when you want to list it, how you want to price it, how you want to portray this listing. And it's also important, friends, to remember about the voice of experience that you're listening to across the desk from me this afternoon. John's been around the block a few times. He's been in this business a couple of dozen years. We're seeing a correction currently in the market. There's all sorts of uh, colorful adjectives for it, but that's basically what the banks call it. We've seen this before. Perhaps you haven't if you're a first-time buyer or new to the housing game. John's been in this business for a long time. He's seen the highs and the lows a few times. So, John, you're familiar, and uh, however uncomfortably so, nonetheless, you're familiar with the, the, the hills and the valleys of the real estate game and how to react when things go up or down or level off. Uh, you've been there. And that matters a whole lot when you're looking at 2019 going into 20. uh, And gosh, what's around this corner? We don't know. But the voice of experience is probably a a strong hand on your shoulder giving you good advice as you go into the unknown. I think that's one of the the biggest uh, uh, things that an agent can provide to a seller or a buyer. I mean, I'm getting calls from people saying, hey, I'm looking at buying now. And I've, you know, you you seem like a guy who knows your stuff. We'd like to talk to you about maybe having you on as our buyer's agent. And And uh, you're okay with that? Oh, I'm absolutely okay with it. I love it. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I have seen, you know, this and that, and I don't know everything. And when I come to people, I always tell them, this is my opinion. These are my opinions. And here's how I see things. And in in the end, it's their money and they're going to decide how to go forward. Right. But um, it does really help, I think, to have an agent who at least has a good feel on the market, somebody who's busy and doing uh, sales and seeing what's coming in by ways of offers and seeing, you know, where buyers are and how financing things are working and how many deals are falling apart over financing. There's all kinds of little things that you can kind of put into a puzzle and help someone come up with a good game plan and a good understanding. And that's my focus when I meet with people. They call him Johnny 1% because he has been in the President's Club, the top 1% of all professional realtors in Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley again. He's been in there a few times and has earned that Johnny 1% moniker by virtue of selling over a thousand homes in Metro Vancouver and area. His number is 604-612-0080. More with John Carlson and Metro Vancouver Real Estate after the news. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox. John Carlson is in studio. Johnny1percent.ca is the website, friends. And, of course, that's where all of the information about uh, commissions and, of course, your contacts, your emails. You can click on a button and request a free market evaluation. And, John, uh, we're going to get to commissions in a second. But uh, we we started talking about evaluations just uh, before the news break. And and, uh, I guess what I'm interested in knowing is... 
because given the fluidity of the market and the fact that, you know, we've seen amazing uh, corrections in places like the west side of Vancouver, West Van, where a house that cost $24 million is now 16 It's still stupid numbers for most of us mere mortals, but that's an enormous correction. Those are reflected in much tinier ways right across the board. So everybody's trying to adjust their thinking to correction mode. So how how uh, how recent or how fresh do we need to be in terms of approaching the price we think we should put on the market attached to our property? Now more than ever, I mean, be current with your information. And we just spent some time talking about how the market had picked up in some ways in certain segments in July and August compared to last year. And mm-hmm. so these trends are really important. We talked a little bit about uh, the fact that the inventory, although still offering a lot of choice in the market has maybe not been growing as fast as it was and some of the sales are and we're talking about how some of that inventory in my humble opinion or my professional opinion might not be positioned to sell and the stuff that maybe is priced and positioned more attractively is getting all the action it's almost like the cream's getting skimmed off so right right again i think the you know if you're going to put your house on the market at any time this year the remainder of the year you want to maybe take a look at what's going on in the market now. You want to maybe take another look, uh, you know, right before you list your property because times change. The market is kind of like an evolving organism, right? Sometimes it's hungry, sometimes it's full, sometimes it's growing, sometimes it's shrinking. And again, to use another analogy we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you got to know is that tide coming in or is it going out? If you're going to go out on the ocean surfing, I think you got to know these basic uh, thing. So you sure do. find out who you're competing against. Yeah. And that's where a good agent can come in and maybe help you navigate some of this stuff and give you good impressions, good ideas. And then uh, from there, you can kind of come up with an idea of where your pricing might be and what your strategy might be to tackle the competition that you're facing. You have said on this program dozens of times, today's consumer is a very for- informed individual. He or she spends a lot of time educating themselves on whatever it is they're interested in consuming. And when it comes to real estate where typically a price tag of a million dollars is not at all out of line in Metro Vancouver, hasn't been for quite some time, uh, all the more reason to be uh, paying attention to those numbers and, and diving inside them as much as you can. If you bought your last house, John, and you joined a parade of people outside a place, you had 15 minutes to take a walk through, submit an offer, and hope it was accepted. Those days are long gone, but that's your last experience with Metro Vancouver real estate and it was only a couple of years ago it's really different now how how do you deal with clients who were in that boat they did that exact thing two years ago perhaps you were even their agent Uh, now it's a dramatically different marketplace how do you reset your mind that's a great question and i think it comes down to again understanding uh, the leverage position that you have. Uh, as a seller, two years ago, three years ago in most segments, you had an enormous amount of leverage. Oh, yeah. You could just sit there, cross your arms, and sit and sit straight up and go, there's my price, take it or leave it. And, uh, you know, at that time, because I'm, a, I'm an agent that offers out less commission than some other properties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd have agents maybe sometimes, and nothing wrong with this, write an offer, and they'd come in, and, you know, the offer would be this, and maybe they'd try to renegotiate that commission. I, I felt like an 800-pound gorilla. I just had so much strength and leverage, we could just simply cross that out of a contract, throw it back, full price offer, and hey, if you don't want it, somebody else will, and boom. So from a seller's point of view now, it's changed. You know, we are no longer 800-pound gorillas. We are more in the business of trying to accommodate. And so when an offer comes in, I prepare people for this. Let's say uh, that we've uh, proposed a a, a 950 list price. Okay. And we think that it'll sell 
anywhere between you know 925 and 935 kind of would be the guesstimate. Well, I prepare all my sellers that, you know what, you might get an offer at 850. And, and, and they usually say to me, oh, John, well, don't even bring me that. And I say, well, first of all, I have a duty to bring you all offers that are presented. But secondly, let's not discount these buyers. Let's remember that they might be uncertain as well. They might be a little bit scared. They might, you know, sure, they might be opportunists that they'll buy only if it's cheap. I was just going to say, maybe they're just playing right now, too, right? Seeing they what, they can, what they can get it down to. But in my experience, they might also be willing to pay that fair price. They just need an agent to help demonstrate that value to right. them. And right. usually that means making a counteroffer. So again, how is it different? Well, you could price very well and you still might get what people might call low ball offers, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily a bad thing because a counteroffer and demonstrating value will often give a, a, a potential buyer a chance to come up and pay the price that you think is reasonable. So again, there's another area where an experienced agent can help justify your price and demonstrate your price. But just remember, sellers are no longer 800-pound gorillas in the market will, you know, able to twist somebody's arm behind them and say, pay this price. It's actually gone a bit the other way, where buyers are saying things like, you know, we like this one, and, uh, you know, but if we get the right price on it, fine. But, you know, we, we know there's other listings coming up, and we're right. prepared to wait. Because, hey, if we do wait, maybe prices will drop another 5%. So we're not in any hurry, and they'll be very nice and respectful and bring you the offer, and they might say, here's where we're at. Right. And again, you got to make a deal for both parties to make a deal. And also the same thing when it comes time, when I'm an agent that collects and offers less commission to other buyers, uh, buyer's agents, sometimes those agents will, with the support of their buyers, they'll sit down with their buyer's agent and say, you know, hey, Bob and Sally, this listing's paying me a, a lesser commission than I'm used to and I have certain expenses. Would you allow me to negotiate a fair commission for myself or my typical or whatever I expect? Right. And oftentimes I'm finding now the buyers and sellers I'm sorry, the buyers and the buyer's agents are, you know, coming to an agreement and now I'm getting more requests for changes to commission. So I also tell my sellers, let's be prepared to play ball. In a $900,000 Again, this home, is part of having an open mind, right, John, in today's marketplace. That's right. And, and I represent my sellers in this case, and I'm not twisting any arms and trying to convince people to do something they're not comfortable with. Sure. But I do tell people, look, if an offer comes in, they may ask for a commission increase. They might even be offering a low price. But we need to take that offer and find out what makes sense to us and put back a reasonable proposition to these other people. And uh, and really, that's how it works. You don't have the same leverage from a seller's point of view that you used to, but you still want to be smart and find that smart point in terms of your pricing, your commission structure, your presentation, and all that sort of thing. And that's what I excel in. That's the whole deal. I want to provide excellent service and save people money compared to what the majority of my competitors are charging. And that's what's keeping me going. And again, the voice of experience. Having seen prices rise and fall, go to stratospheric heights, and then correct down to, oh, today, it's John Carlson in the business for a couple of decades. And John, you mentioned saving people money on commissions a moment or so ago. And that's important, particularly as people's expectations are perhaps rudely altered. Well, you know, I always thought I'd get X for this property. Yes. And you go walk through it, and you know that's just, that's that's nuts. They're just not, not even going to get close. But if you're saving the money on commission, that's money that they get to keep in their pockets, which will help uh, take some of the pain out of maybe not reaching that astronomical number they were hoping for in the first place. Yeah, that, that can soften the blow, definitely. Yeah, exactly. And I find, generally speaking, people generally call and say, hey, John, you were referred to me, or, or I've heard that you're a competent agent who will do a good job. And then the secondary thing is, and you know, I'd like to save some, some money if I can, because I don't really want to pay the commission that this previous guy quoted. Me. Sure. That's all fair. But I do get the calls sometimes from people who say, 
you know, I've had three evaluations and I kind of know where my price is, but, uh, you know, boy, I paid a lot for this property and I don't mind selling for what it's worth. I don't mind meeting the market because I know I'll have to, Yeah. but darn it, I don't want to pay, you know, X amount of commission. So again, that's where I come in. But of course, I am telling people right now, the market has changed a little bit. So whereas a couple of years ago in certain price ranges, I could save people 60 or 70% compared to what some of these other agents were charging. Now I just prepare all my sellers, look, let's play ball. Maybe we're looking at a 30, 40% savings. We can still save you money. But the main point is you don't want to focus too much on the little bit of savings, you know, if you're if you're, uh, if you're hurting yourself in the big battle, which is price. So I'm, again, trying to help people position properly. Uh, a lot of people don't want to pay the 7% of the first 100000 2.5% of the balance, even though, I mean, a lot of people do. Let's face it, that's sure. the majority. That's the prevailing commission structure. Exactly, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's good agents at all these companies. I just happen to offer you know, a, a, a smart position of the experience and the value. And also, I do save people money because I definitely believe uh, that that can be done, and that's what I do. All right, 604-612-0080 is John Carlson's cell number. 604-612-0080. You might want to make note of that, but don't call him right now because he's got a few more minutes left with me uh, on Vancouver Consumer. Then he's all yours. Uh, John, we'll get you to check any new listings for you uh, for us a little later on. Uh, but I wanted to get back to the the whole matter of the of, of the commission and the savings on commission and the fact that people are they're concerned if I'm if I'm going to save some money uh, and keep more of my own money uh, in this process, that warms my heart to say nothing of my bank account. My only concern is that by saving money and keeping more of it, I'm somehow or another doing myself a disservice in terms of presenting my product to the world, to the to the buyers out there. That if I'm if I'm paying less, somehow or another my my consumer mind says I must be getting less. We get that all the time at 1% Realty, and uh, you know I've heard that many times, and that is a concern. It's a legitimate concern. Um, real estate's a little bit different than buying a box of cornflakes, I think, because um, if you buy the no-name brand, you know you might not enjoy it as much. It might not be quite as good as the Kellogg's, for mm-hmm. instance. But uh, you know what I've focused my career on is providing top-level service, first and foremost, and then the savings go along with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of a combination that I feel... I have a you know a, a good little niche there doing that. And I think so that's it's, important it's, for people. it's important for people to understand that when you're dealing with John Carlson, it's a full service arrangement. This isn't some kind of uh, um, substandard arrangement because you're yes. not you're not going to be paying as much in commission. So guess what? It's just going to be different. That's right. And the other thing that people will and bring it's up, not different. It's not different. Except I mean, the savings. That's that's the cool part. That is the cool part. And, and uh, I mean, people like to have good service, and that's where you really uh, help people maximize their value is by giving them good advice, right? Yeah. Because if I'm charging a certain commission and saving them some money, but they're underselling their house by more than that, obviously that's a bad thing. Um, but the other thing that people would, would ask me is, you know, will other agents show my property? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can tell you in my experience that, yes, agents show properties that have commissions that vary from, you know, seven and two and a half. It happens all the time. Uh, but what, again, what I am telling my sellers is now is that, look, our property is going to get shown. These other agents, when they write offers, they're probably a little more keen now than they used to be two years ago and having a discussion with their buyers and maybe trying to negotiate that commission. Now, everything is negotiable and the listing side where I work doesn't change, but the commission offered out to the buyers, I'm just preparing all my sellers that expect it. When an offer comes, I'm finding it used to be 50-50. Now it's much more common. And I think it makes sense when you look at the number of sales being lower and the fact that a lot of agents have not really been uh, selling as many homes as usual. Mm -hmm. I think that those buyers with the buyer's agents, they're showing the property, but 
they're coming to a consensus where, hey, you know, I want to make sure my agent gets looked after. And so these are discussions that I'm having now with my sellers. And when offers come in, I still work for the seller. I advise the seller. But I'm telling people, have a little bit more of an open mind. If, uh, you know, if I can save you 60 or 70% on commission, I will. But if it's only 30 or 40%, you might want to take that as a win. So open mind, different leverage situation. Markets change. My job is to give good advice and position people for success. Now, you've been talking a lot about being uh, open-minded and conscious of the fact that we're in very fluid times. But you're, you're, you're talking in that regard to people who are, who are sellers. They have property. What about people who are trying to get into the game for the first time? Yes. Uh, and prices are starting to come down a little bit. It's getting a little more tempting. Yes. What are you telling those people these days, John? Well, in general, I'm telling people to be patient if, uh, you know, if patience is possible. Uh, keep your eyes open and be prepared so when the right property comes, you're ready to pounce on it. But again, it, with the market doing what it has been doing, um, you know, I tell my buyers, if we find the right property that makes you really happy and the price is, is right and you feel it's a good value proposition, those are the kind of properties that make sense to go for. Sure. But in this kind of market, if, you're, if you feel like you might be settling, like, oh, gee, maybe the price isn't right or maybe it, it should have one more bedroom. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Take a little bit of a wait because September and October, lots of new listings coming out. So, again, buyers have different feelings in terms of how quickly they want to act or what they need to do. But, uh, you know, buyers, my feeling is right now, get what you want at the right price or be willing to wait a little bit longer, and chances are you will be successful. So it's interesting. You said September and October, and you've said this a couple of times, are going to be busier certainly than July and August 2019 were. And I just keep thinking in terms of, you know, more activity going on. But, of course, a huge part of that is more people putting their homes up for sale. That's right. There's going to be a lot of good listings coming out, and buyers are going to have a little bit more choice. And this is all part of the balancing of the market. New listings hitting, the cream of the crop selling, those that maybe are not as attractive, sitting for a while and adjusting or maybe coming off the market. And buyers, the buyer finally has a situation where they can wait and they can skim the cream off the top and be patient for another new listing to hit if it doesn't go together. So these are the dynamics we're working with. This is why, you know, the market is changing. And just understand the dynamics and get a good agent on your side that can give you good advice because it's important uh, now as much as ever. And for that good agent, you must consider John Carlson, the voice of experience. You can tap into him right now, 604-612-0080, 612-0080. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Great to be here again. See you in two weeks. And once again, our thanks to Johnny 1%, John Carlson, for another informative visit. Next week, we'll have a visit from the people at Landlord BC and more on Forex with Branton Wealth's Joe Border. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, checks out a backlash against golf cart safety. Thanks, Sterling. There are indications that WorkSafe BC is backing down from proposed new regulations BC's golf courses say would have been disastrous. The plan would require all golf courses across the province to outfit motorized equipment with seat belts and rollover protection bars. Pushback from the industry has been swift and harsh. Here's Craig Rencher with Cedar Hill Golf Club. It it really is. A very, very stupid idea. The idea is not only being called impractical, but also costly. Rencher estimates it would come to roughly $2,000 to retrofit each golf cart. That's an $80,000 hit for his fleet and potentially $20 million for the industry as a whole. Courses would have no choice but to pass those costs down to consumers. 
That outcry has prompted WorkSafe BC to take another swing at the idea, saying in a statement based on stakeholder feedback, WorkSafe BC intends to limit the proposed changes to golf course workers only and workers in other industries where golf carts may be used. Lencher says even the revised proposal that covers only employees is not feasible. These types of things would be just a major, major setback beyond what we would even imagine. Additional consultation and public hearings will be conducted this fall. There's no timeline on a decision either way. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. For people with hearing loss, using a hearing aid is associated with a reduced risk of three common health problems of aging, dementia, depression, and falls, according to a new study in the Journal of American Geriatrics. This study adds to the growing body of research linking hearing loss to memory issues and dementia. Cognitive decline is much higher among people with hearing loss, says the study author, and also suggests using hearing aids might help delay the onset of dementia in some people. And it's the largest study to date to look at this possible connection. This new study found that people who received hearing aids in the three years after being diagnosed with hearing loss had lower rates of dementia, depression, and falls than those who didn't receive hearing aids. To get these findings, the University of Michigan researchers examined managed care insurance forms from 115,000 adults, all of whom are 66 or older. This advice from Consumer Reports this week. If you notice you're having difficulty hearing, see your doctor. And if your health care providers think a hearing aid will help you, the researchers say it's best to start using the device sooner rather than later. And it has more than 3,000 miles of coastline and no fewer than 48 UNESCO World Heritage Sites. Now Spain has been declared the best country in the world to visit. For the third year running, it slid in just above France in the 2019 Travel and Tourism Report from the World Economic Forum. Along with major travel draws like Barcelona, Madrid, and the Costa del Sol, it's easy to see why Spain is the favorite. After France, Germany is in third place. We have then the UK and Australia at sixth and seventh. Italy came number eight. Canada is nine ahead of Switzerland. Yemen in this report came last at 140. That is this week's show, produced by Ben Dooley. Andrew Ferreira is on the controls. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2, right here, for another edition of Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.